Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, one more question. This is the last one that we're going to look at in this series. And we're going to hear Jesus ask the question, why do you doubt? And uh, let's be honest for a minute. Um, You may have never said it out loud before or in front of a group before, but I would bet every one of us has has had moments in their lives where they doubt. I can't see y'all behind this. It's in my way. So every one of us has had these, these doubts at some, some time or another um, where we've had moments in our lives where we've had spiritual doubts arise. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I believe the Bible said it, and I believe it, therefore that settles it. And I'm like, well, good for you. Um, that's great. If that's the way you are and you can do that, then that is fantastic. But I would bet that so many more of us have had struggles where we, we doubt things. Um, it's not easy for some of us. Some of us, we're just naturally a little more skeptical. Or we, we are more what we call analytical, or I'm a realist. And, 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 um, and I can say I can be that way. I can be that way at times in my life. I have had those times in my life. As a matter of fact, um, I've had a time in my life when, when I've wondered, what if this is, this is, none of this is true? What if, what if this whole religion thing is just something that has been made up to help us feel better? To, you know, kind of cope with things? Y'all have never thought that, right? Um, I, you know, I, I want to believe it's all true. I want to believe that God is real. But I have these moments where I go, ah, if I'm honest with myself, I might have doubt. You may, you may even be like the pastor who, when he was a kid, he was doubting uh, that God existed. And uh, there above his bed was a picture, and it was, it was hung straight. And so he took the picture, and he turned it sideways. And then he said, okay, God, if you're really there, while I'm sleeping, I want you to straighten this picture up. Now, I don't have to see you do it. You've got eight hours till I wake up. This shouldn't be a big deal for you. I mean, you're God and all that. If that's all true, then, you know, when I go to sleep and I wake up, it'll be straight, right? And so the little boy went to sleep, and, um, and you know what? He woke up, and voila. It was still crooked. I mean, he just, he, you know, sometimes doubt floods over our minds with things like this. We think, well, God, you didn't answer me the way I thought you should. You didn't make it crystal clear. Why does God seem to speak so clearly and audibly at times to some people and not others? Why is it that it's just so crystal clear to them and it's so easy for them to believe and for others it's so hard? For some... Uh, For some of you, doubt plagues you, not because of anything the Bible says, it's because of the hypocrisy in the church. It's Christians with the quotations around it. And you and you you hear them, they say, Well, how can how can they, those Christians, uh, say they believe in a loving, compassionate, forgiving God, and yet they treat people the way they do? It's a good question. Some people might even say, uh, you can't be a follower of Christ if you have doubt in your life. Well, you know what? I will argue that that for doubt, for many people, is the beginning of real faith. It's actually where it starts. And today we're going to look at a guy who was branded a doubter. Uh, You know his name. We call him Doubting Doubting Thomas. Everybody knows who he is, right? Uh, Poor guy, 12 verses in the Bible. And um, that's all it talks about him. You get a label for the rest of eternity. Doubting Thomas. Oh, you doubting Thomas. And we call each other that, trying to, to work things out. Well, let me give you um, some context to our text today. 
has just risen from the dead. He appeared to two guys on the road to Emmaus. And we pick up in Luke 24, beginning verse 36. And it reads this way. It says, While they were still talking about this, they being the disciples, while the disciples were still talking about this, this Emmaus road appearance, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, they, thinking they saw a ghost. Well, you bet they were scared. Are you kidding me? I mean, wouldn't you be? Many of them saw him dead, like dead, dead. They saw him. He was completely dead. Not like in The Princess Bride where he was mostly dead, but like dead, dead, real dead. My dad died in 2007. Um, and I preached his funeral. I stood by his casket and touched his hand. And uh, I was there at the graveside when we lowered the casket in the grave and covered it up. But if he showed up at lunch today, I would probably wet my pants. <laughs> you would too. I don't know what you think so funny about this. But I'm telling you, if, if you see someone and you know they are dead and they show up alive and well in front of you, you have to admit it would, it would frighten you. It would startle you. You would think, what is going on? And at the same time, um, of course, they were, they were thinking, this has got to be a ghost because dead people don't come back to life. And so when, when Jesus appears to him, his very first words are peace. It's like, hey, I don't want to scare you. Peace be with you. I don't want to frighten you, but you're like, you can't do that. His first words, peace be with you. And then verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. I want you to notice this. So far we've read this, this passage, and who's not there? Thomas. How do we know? How do we know he's, he's supposed to be there in the first place? Well, you have to look in John's gospel. The parallel to this, John's gospel in John 20 Verse 24, it reads this way. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Craig Rochelle calls him T. Diddy, the very first rapper of Christian... No, I'm kidding. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. What else can we see? What do we see? We see Thomas was not there, so Thomas missed church. This is real big. I'm only getting one chuckle down here from the band. The bass player is like laughing at me. Because you know, you know where this is going, right? He missed church. And what did he do? He missed, he missed everything. Uh, he missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. He missed the peace be with you of Jesus. You miss a lot when you miss church. When you don't come, when you decide, oh, I'll just go next week or I'll watch online, I'm telling you, you don't get the, the feels of, of worship by watching it on, on, on the net. I mean, it's kind of like the second best thing. It's like, would you rather have a kiss in person or kiss a screen? <laughs> Some of you go, hmm, that depends on who it is. If it's grandma, hmm, I'll kiss the screen. That was free. Golly, that was terrible. So what happens when you miss the presence of Jesus? You know, what happens when you miss an exciting worship service? What happens? People start telling you. They say, man, you should have been here. You won't believe this. 
Let me tell you what you missed. And so in verse 25 of John 20, it says, So the other disciples told him, told Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the nail where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He's like, can't do it. I think Thomas wanted to believe what, what they were saying, but he just couldn't. And not, not yet anyway. He, he just could not accept a secondhand faith. He wanted a firsthand experience with a risen Christ before he could say, I can't believe that. It's too good to be true. This is one of the biggest problems in the American church. So many of us just kind of believe because of our parents. We just, we just have kind of a kind of faith. They just kind of believe because of, of people that they know who believe, who are excited about their faith. So, so we end up with churches full of people who are kind of Christian. I don't really have this firsthand faith. I don't have this experience of, for myself where I've encountered Christ in my life, where I've really just, yes, I believe. And so we just kind of float along. And then something happens in our life, and, it, and our little bit of faith that we do have gets shaken because we have not had that firsthand experience with Jesus. And that causes us to doubt. Does God really exist? Does Jesus, uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is any of this real? Is it me? Don't miss the claims of the disciples and of our faith that say things like, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, who was born of a virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. Third day, he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell and live in us. That's the stuff we believe. Don't miss that testament of faith that we have. If this is true, if this 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 faith is true, then it demands a response. And the only reasonable response to a Savior who died for you is that you live for Him. Thomas said, this is very important to me. I want it to be true. Because if it is true, it changes everything. I don't serve a dead Savior, I serve a risen Savior. And people say, well, you can't have faith if you, if you doubt. But I'll tell you, you can have a very real faith, sometimes because you pass through that doubt to get to truth, to the encounter. For many, doubt is the beginning of a solid rock foundation, a solid rock faith that will carry you on to, to glorify God in all that you do. It will change the direction and trajectory of your life. Thomas need a little, needed a little bit more. And maybe you do too. Maybe you need a little bit more. Verse 26 of John 20, it says, A week later, it's time for church again. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Let's get play too. Same thing happens. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. What did you notice? The doors were locked. And it, they didn't let Jesus in. He didn't knock. He didn't say the secret password. He just walks through the walls. His flesh and blood. This isn't like the ghost things you see in movies where they just kind of vaporize them. 
and just reappear. He walks through the walls with, with his full physical body intact, and he's he says, peace. And he goes straight to Thomas. Maybe he passed Philip and Bartholomew and John and all of them. He walks right past me. He goes straight to Thomas and he goes, stop doubting and believe. He didn't scold him for not believing. He didn't, uh, he didn't get on to him. He encourages him. He gave him what he needed to believe. He met him right where he was. And I believe God will give you what you need to stop doubting and believe, to grow your faith. I was a kind of Christian for much of my youth. I wanted to believe uh, what my parents believed. I knew, I, I knew one thing for sure, I did not want to go to hell. But I didn't know that I believed enough in other things. And I gave my life to, to Jesus when I was nine years old. I walked the aisle of that little Baptist church, well, big Baptist church we were attending. I got baptized there. Um, and, and I, but I had my doubts, and I wondered if I did it right. Did I, did I say the right thing? Did I say the right prayer? Did I walk the right way? Did I kneel the right way? Did I do this, everything like I'm supposed to? Um, and and I, I didn't know. Did I really mean it? How could I know? I didn't, have, I didn't hear a voice, or a, I didn't touch his nail-scarred hands. And I, I wandered in my commitment to Christ all through my, my youth, from nine all the way up until I was off in college. Did some very unchristian things during that time. But I headed off to, to college and was nervous that, that I would lose my faith, as shaky as it was. But as while I was in college, I, was, uh, I became a part of a uh, summer youth evangelism team. I, I wanted to pursue my faith a little bit more. And, and we traveled all over South Georgia, going from church to church, working uh, with youth groups. And actually came to Richmond Hill United Methodist Church in 1986 in the summer. And I was probably 20 years old and uh, backed into a car right out here. It was great. But one of the other stops that we made, um, I think it was at Trinity United Methodist Church downtown in Savannah, an old downtown. And um, we had a time uh, with the youth there and the Bethesda Home for Boys. They were there that night, and, and we were working with them. And we had a time at the altar. And um, I just, I, re I remember I wanted desperately to experience Christ in my life. I mean, I, I was trying to, to shag this whole doubt thing in my life, and I wanted to know that I know that I know. Do you, do you ever want that? You just, I, just don't, I don't want to doubt anymore. I want to have a courageous faith. I don't want to doubt. I want to know that I know that I know. I want to settle this thing once and for all. And so at, at, a, at a time at the close of the service, I made my way down to the altar over on the side, and, uh, and I began to pray. And, and when I was there... Um, I felt this, this hand on my shoulder, you know, like someone comes up behind you and they're praying for you and they place their hand on your back, kind of on your shoulder. And I did what all of us do. I cheated. I started peeking, wondering who it is. You know, I started looking through my legs, you know, I'm like, who's back there? And I couldn't see any feet. And I was like, man, they either got really long arms and they're reaching from the front row or I, who's back there? And so I thought, you know, well, it's the pastor. He came and he's, he's prayed for me, but I could still feel the hand and I couldn't see any feet. And um, so I kind of quickly uh, finished up my prayer there and I, and I looked up, you know, kind of like, okay, I'm going to catch them walking back to their seat. And uh, the pastor was on the other side. He was nowhere near me. And there was no one for like the front three or four rows over here next to me. And I'm like, and so I went to my teammates and I said, I said, who came and prayed with me? And they said, nobody, they left you alone. I started going, well, whose hand was on my shoulder? And I had that overwhelming sensation in my heart that that was the hand of Christ assuring me that I was all right. 
I had my first-hand experience, my first-hand touch. And I want to tell you, it changed my life. I probably wouldn't be in ministry at all. But I wanted desperately to know that I know that I know. I was like Thomas. I wanted to believe. I just couldn't shake the doubt. And God gave me just what I needed to press through. Thomas said to Jesus, without even touching him, he said, my Lord and my God. He wasn't, he wasn't just believing in Jesus or that you are Lord and you are God. He said, you are my Lord and my God. He was believing Jesus, not just believing in him. I know it happened to me. And I know it can happen to you if it hasn't already. That God will assure you of your faith. He will give you what you need to cast away all the doubt. You know what builds my faith is, is hearing the eyewitness stories uh, of faith. Like Peter, you remember Peter, um, you remember Peter, Jesus told him, he said, uh, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, oh, no, I won't. I'll stand. I'll even die for you and all this stuff. But what did he do? He denied him three times. And you remember what happened next. Jesus cooks him breakfast on the seashore. And he comes over and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, I'm, I'm trying. I want to say I love you. Yes. And he says, feed my sheep. And he asks him that questions and he forgives him. And it transforms Peter. He goes on to do incredible things, so much so that when Pentecost comes, he walks out and delivers a sermon, and 3,000 people come to faith at that one time. That is incredible. From the guy that denied him to the guy that stood for him, Peter became the rock that Jesus said he would become. Upon this rock, I will build my church. But others came, continued to come to Peter, and they said, Look, unless you deny your faith, we're going to take your life. We're going to kill you. And he said, Never will I do that again. He stood firm this time. He messed up the first time, not the second time. And the tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be cru crucified in the same manner as my Lord. What about James, the half-brother of Jesus? He was elevated to leadership in the church, and, and years later, the enemies of the cross, the enemies of Christ came and said, renounce your faith or we're going to kill you. And he said, I won't do it. And they pushed him off the pinnacle of the temple, the wall of the temple. If you've ever seen some of those, those uh, pictures of Jerusalem, it's like 100 feet from the top of the wall down, and it's just rocky and, and just desolate, and they shoved him off, but he didn't die. He was hurt really, really bad. And the guys came around there and they ambushed him. And they said, look, we'll give you another chance. You see, we were serious about this. Deny your faith, renounce your faith. And he says, he says I won't do it. And he says, uh, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That sounds like somebody else. Sounds like Jesus' words, doesn't it? And then they beat him to death with clubs. I think about Paul, who, had, who hated Christians, kill, killed some of them or had them killed. And, and, but he... He had that first counter experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You remember that? Blinded by the light. And he saw him. He says, why do you persecute me? And that changed his life. He went on to write the words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do you get from wanting to kill the Christians to saying, look, I'll die for this cause now. I've, cha I've changed completely. My doubt is completely gone. Peter was beaten and left for several times because he would not renounce his faith and he was finally killed when they beheaded him 
One who hated Christ is now willing to die for Christ. That builds my faith. And I hope it does yours. And then there's Thomas, who is branded the doubter. But Thomas was a person of great faith. Doubt is often a very uh, real end of, uh, excuse me, doubt is not the, the real end of faith, but rather the beginning. And Thomas got what he needed, and he ended up traveling further than any disciple, uh, going all the way to India to preach the gospel. Because Christ transformed him. The enemies of Christ met him in a cave one morning and told him, you renounce this faith. And Thomas said, I will never renounce my Lord. My and they ran him through with a spear and killed him. And I want to ask you, do you believe enough to live for Jesus? I'm not asking, do you believe enough to die for him? But do you live for him? Let's pray.